0: Welcome to the podcast. I'm Carla Joy Treadway. I'm here to help you navigate nuanced conversations and explore topics that demand your attention and awareness. There is no topic off limits here. Together we will seek to find the middle path, explore the polarities of darkness and light, left and right, grace and grit. As a writer, life coach, and seasoned yogi, I'm in the business of awareness and conscious action. I'm here to create space for the conversations that need to be had in order to create solutions that bridge the divide between humans. Sensemaking will use practical, logical, philosophical, and spiritual tools to help us gain well-rounded perspectives on issues that strike a chord. Let's get started. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Carla Treadway. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different, a little bit longer, and it will be a solo episode. I promise you guys I have some amazing guests coming for you soon. I just really needed to get this particular podcast out there, and maybe it's for me. Obviously my hope is that it is for you and that you will gain something from me sharing this very personal story. I wanted to find words for what I'm feeling, sensing, and watching. I have been watching things much more intensely over the last 14 months or so. Like many of you, I see that something big is happening. Something that doesn't really sit right with me. Something very wrong with the world, and it's not the things that you may think. It's not climate change or a world war. It's not a virus. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you have no idea what I'm about to talk about. Some of you know and don't want to hear it, but here I go, just the same. I would like to start off by saying, too, that if you do not want to hear my rambling thoughts about what is happening in the bigger picture of the world, please stop here. I understand that self-preservation is a strategy and I absolutely respect your process. I wanted to share my experiences so that if you're listening to this, you won't feel alone. I wanted to put these real and raw thoughts and feelings down on paper. Sorry, I have a little bit of a cough. (laughs) So you can see that I'm nothing more than a human being trying to make sense of the world. That I don't have a goal or an agenda. I'm just a real person working through some really big realizations. And my hope in sharing this is that you may see a little of yourself here too. My experiences will play into my beliefs, and yours will play into yours. I don't claim to be an expert on anything that I'm about to talk about, and I'm not here to tell you what you should or should not believe or what you should or should not do. I am sharing my story of what it's like to have your world rattled and what it's like to stand in your integrity. Like many of you, my understanding of how the world worked has dramatically changed. My desire to ignore politics, ignore world issues, ignore macro problems, is no longer a possibility. I once thought our country of Canada was a harmless, quirky, polite little country where we said sorry a lot, who had leaders I could trust. I thought that it didn't really matter if it was a conservative government or a liberal government because my life didn't really change all that much. I thought I could live my life undisturbed by the actions of our leaders and carry on with my merry way. But I was wrong. This new reality that I've come to discover seems more like a dream. I feel like I'm living in the Truman Show. And nothing that I used to see in front of me seems to be reality anymore. This process of recognizing reality is hard. And the hardest part is many of us go through this alone because the culture that surrounds us today is designed to keep us asleep, it's designed to keep us numb. It wants us to spend our time making TikToks, buying things we don't need online, eating shitty food, smoking weed, drinking away our feelings, and watching others live their life on TV. This world certainly is not asking for open dialogue, diversity of opinion. Why? Because people that are asleep are easier to control. If the world's biggest problem is that there are too many people on this earth, then it kind of makes sense that we would want to develop methods to control the people. But I think there's a better way. I think if the people were awake and fully alive and fully conscious and took very good care of themselves, we wouldn't have these problems to begin with. That feels right in my bones. That if the world does need to change, we need to change it by waking the people up. Not by numbing the people or lying to the people or controlling the people in a way that is deceitful. And here is where I start my story of my own experience of quote-unquote waking up. I am a yogi. I am a studio owner. I have spent thousands upon thousands of hours in training and practice in the art of self-study. The art of awareness. I am also a trained, integrated life coach who has spent thousands of hours in study and practice, learning about asking powerful questions So I'm a bit embarrassed to say that I was fooled by all of this too. While I love spiritual and esoteric practices, I am also very practical. I'm logical. I look at common sense methods. I find myself in the middle of left and right politics. I believe in making money and selfless service. I look at problems in society and see the solutions stemming from the crossroads between love and consequences. But I was fooled by everything that happened in the p- pandemic. Because I wasn't seeking that middle path at first. Maybe it's because I'm a positive person, maybe it's because I am too trusting, maybe I was just too busy trying to keep my business afloat and homeschool during a pandemic. Whatever the reason, I didn't get it, I didn't see it. My yoga studio suffered under the endless lockdowns. My business involved gathering large groups of people together to sweat and breathe, I had invested hundreds of hours in training for hands on adjustments. My job was now dangerous. Even when the studio opened, people were scared to gather. They were scared to be in public. They were scared to breathe. CERB was useless. It wasn't enough money to keep any business afloat, let alone pay for the needs of a family that required their business to be open in order to pay the bills. I couldn't get it when we were locked down because I had a very minuscule amount of money trickling in. So basically, if you had any money at all coming in, you couldn't take it. But if you had no money coming in, it wasn't enough to pay anything anyways. It wouldn't pay your bills. So I closed. I could see that fear, that problem was going to last for a very long time. I could see right away that the lockdowns were not going to be a short-term measure. So I closed. My lease was up and it was a no-brainer. Stay and be bankrupt or continue loving my job without the bitterness of defeat and endless lockdowns. I was able to get some grant money to rebuild an online platform, which was a blessing. It was a rigorous process to apply for it. And it was very restrictive, technology or mentorship. The grants couldn't be spent on what you personally needed it for, like paying your rent or paying your staff. At least the ones I had were very specific. But I was grateful nevertheless that I could keep working from home and that there was still some opportunity trickling in. So I counted my blessings. I could keep working from home. My husband's work life as a carpenter didn't change at all, and my kids were at the best possible ages to handle the shift to stay at home while going to school. They were 9 and 12, not preschoolers or not older teens that really rely on their peers. Ontario, by the way, had the longest break from in-person classes in the entire world. I rebuilt my business online and, again, counted my blessings. I had some crazy friends at this time that thought something was wrong with the world. Something was wrong with the public health measures. I thought, oh, poor them. They've lost it. I would ignore these tinfoil hat claims and continued happily plugging away at my business I made sourdough bread while I watched CBC's Daily Death Count, feeling safe and snug in my home sanctuary. I don't know why I watched the news so much, it wasn't any different for 12 whole months, but I kept watching it every day. Maybe just out of pure boredom. I mean, I was at home for a very long time. It wasn't any different for the longest time. And then I remember at about the 12-month point, I saw the first non-COVID story, a murder in the East Coast of Canada. I remember this so vividly because something sparked in me that there were 12 months of zero coverage of Wars, crimes, or other stories other than COVID and the death count. Not that I saw, at least. Not that was obvious. And I just thought that was so strange. Obviously, there were civil wars and tornadoes and all the other things that usually happen, but we weren't seeing that. You know, I wasn't really scared of the big C But I did take it seriously. I was one of those people that sanitized often, washed my groceries, stayed away from people, and I knew that some other people might be more frightened, and maybe they should be, based on their personal health situation. I understand it's a real virus and a real problem, so again, I just counted my blessings that I wasn't scared and that me and my family would be okay. I watched Tiger King and did online workouts. I helped my kids with their schooling online and fought with them a lot too. I took hour-long walks with my dogs, then would go home and make bread again. Sometimes I'd even make a daytime drink and think to myself, hey, this isn't so bad. We're blessed. We are safe. They are keeping us safe at home. Sometimes my husband Dan would say, this is ridiculous, none of this makes sense, this is so stupid. To which I would angrily reply, shut up Dan, you're being stupid. And then I would take another sip of my Paloma and completely ignore reality. Now for background, Dan is an extremely intelligent, logical, pragmatic, non-conspiratorial person. He was one of the first people to get vaccinated because he is Métis and got service first and thought, great, two and done, and then I can live my life again. He wasn't afraid. He just wanted to move on. But he kept saying at home that the numbers didn't add up and none of this made sense. It made me so angry. I was trying to focus on my blessings over here, and there he was trying to shoot down the struggling leaders of this country. What did he know? I, I was safe in my home drinking my daytime Paloma while they were out there protecting us, working hard, and, trying to, and he was trying to take apart their strategy with facts and figures, as he has a very mathematical brain. But really, who is he to be saying anything I would counter any of his so-called facts like the COVID death rate, like the amount of people that die in a day in most of these countries anyways, with the nonsensical lockdowns, mask wearing rules and the like with, they're just doing their best, Dan. Of course it's messy. And I wouldn't even hear it. I was not open or available to any of it. When friends would go on Instagram and do a video talking about their fears or their loss of freedoms because they chose not to get vaccinated, I would say, how privileged you are to think that this is a loss of your freedom. They're just trying to protect you. And it's a choice, you know, no one is forcing you. I'm embarrassed to say that I was that person and I would cancel them. Sometime around my depth of sleep, George Floyd died in the riot and the riots of BLM began right after. The world was shocked. Many of us were waking up to the reality that we didn't understand the depth of racism in North America. We were waking to the understanding that groups of people were suffering still in 2022, that racism was so much bigger and alive than we ever imagined. It felt like a lot. It felt like an overwhelming amount of problems all at once, shamed, stacked with a pandemic. Like many people, I was horrified by this realization that we were missing something. I took social justice trainings. I tried to see what I was not seeing. I read the anti-racism books. I read D'Angelo. I read Kendi. I took social justice yoga teacher trainings. I went all in. But something didn't sit right. It wasn't that I didn't believe that I had something to learn. It wasn't that I was unwilling to learn or unlearn or be uncomfortable. I'm very comfortable being uncomfortable in the work that I do. It wasn't that I didn't believe racism exists or that reconciliation in Canada doesn't need to be emphasized. It was that things were progressively getting worse in some ways and they were being politicized. Not by these groups, but by our political leaders. That is what didn't sit right with me. Out of all the things I didn't notice, I did notice this in the beginning. People were being erased from digital existence. People were afraid to express honest opinions or ask honest questions. A culture started to spring forward that you just do not ask questions. If you do ask questions, you will be immediately labeled as X, Y, and Z, which scares most people into not saying a word. A culture of fear and bullying and authoritarianism was springing forth, and it was coming from far-left political leaders. Even speaking speaking these words is making me sweat right now, because I'm not supposed to talk about this. And if I talk about this, it means something about me. And again, I want to clarify that I do not disagree with making the world more inclusive and fair, and I certainly don't disagree with efforts to make the world free of racism. I don't pretend to walk in someone's shoes, nor do I have a deep understanding of someone else's experience. I also don't believe that these movements themselves are bad in any way, and I believe their intention is good. I only mention it here because it was the first time that I noticed the rise of politics as religion. I only mention it because I think it's being used as a tool for authoritarian political leaders, those who use authoritarianism as a religion in order to divide and control people. What I'm asking questions about is the methods. I'm asking questions about the outcome and I'm asking questions about who is maybe using this to their benefit. I believe what was happening was our leaders were manipulating some of these movements to condition us to be quiet, to fall in line, to suppress our ideas our feelings, to let us know that we are actually unsafe to speak about certain things. There was just something happening here in the name of social justice. This important movement to help create equality and justice in the world. And it was being used to control people. I'm going to table this here and I'm not going to speak about it more as it's better left for people like censorship expert and writer Africa Brooke. And there's lots of literature around this. I just wanted to address this topic as the first time that I notice the way that we allow people to have conversations. I continued to try to maintain my view of the world as a chaotic place with lots of problems, but inhabited by well-meaning people of all kinds trying to do their best to sort things out. Imperfect as those strategies were, I trusted in people Then one day, one of my very best friends started coming unglued. She refused to get the V and seemed very fearful about it. I thought she was just stressed. I tried to, quote, coach her through it. I listened compassionately and tried to get her to think sensibly. She sent me some documentaries, which were interesting, but I brought them back to her and said, no, I don't believe this. I don't believe there's anything sinister going on. Now, this person is not a kook. She has worked in oil and gas and software development, is skilled in finance and business development, and so many high-level intellectual endeavors. I watched as she became more and more, quote, unglued. I kept trying to talk her off the ledge, and she kept calmly, but seriously, asking me questions that I no longer had any answer for questions like when do we vaccinate all of afghanistan because obviously they're looking for hundred percent compliance why do they need hundred percent compliance why are they firing doctors who write exemptions why are we lying about natural immunity and pretending it doesn't exist even with evidence to the contrary why aren't we testing people for natural immunity Where did all these excess deaths come from in the adverse reporting system? Why are there more reported deaths in two months than all other vaccines combined over a 31-year period? The acceptable reported death rate for other vaccines like the swine flu was around 12 when they pulled it off the shelves. We're at about 1200 reported deaths in just the first few months is there a number where we stop if we're in a health crisis why are we firing all the healthcare workers why is there zero home treatment recommendations only wait until you can't breathe and then come to the hospital if the vaccines don't stop you from getting it or spreading it why are they making mandates Why have they prohibited all sources of early treatment options considering most of them have over seven years of safety data and evidence of death rate reduction? Even if it had a small benefit, why wouldn't they make that available? Why did the metrics for herd immunity keep moving up to 100%? Why are they canceling Nobel Prize winning scientists, PhDs from Harvard and MIT. Why are we hearing about daily death counts, but zero talk about adverse effects? Why does public health list only a sore arm and fever and eventually myocarditis as a side effect when there are actually nine pages of side effects? Why are we mandating it for populations like children and pregnant women who were never tested on in the trials? If it takes 5 to 10 years to show a drug is safe, 20 to show if it causes cancer or fertility issues, why are we mandating a drug that was produced in only a few short months? A seed was planted, but I guess because I'm still a slow learner, I stayed put. I kept trying to help her. Then one day, my 12 year old came home and told me the teacher said she could go get her injection and she didn't need her parents' permission. Something in that moment snapped me wide awake. I had signed 12 permission forms that year already. Everything from can your child take a walk around the block to can they eat a cupcake? they did need permission for an experimental injection that was created in a few month time period that opened the door in me to being available to information because my friend was not a quote kook she mostly just looked at world data she looked at countries who were on their fourth booster and had more cases and deaths than countries like us who were way behind She tracked the rise and fall of numbers. She looked at the provincial hospital numbers. She shared her concern letters of evidence with her MPs, with me and her MPs letters back to her. And then the cascade of evidence came crumbling down. Before I go into that, I want to preface this. I believe in the actual scientific method, questions and hypotheses. I believe in going to the doctor. I have taken many vaccines in my lifetime, have had many medicines, and have used a hospital. Having questions about this one particular quickly-made experimental drug does not make me an anti-vaxxer, a science denier, or someone that doesn't deserve to go to the hospital. I also believe or hope you might say that vaccines are definitely tools to deal with viruses. I never questioned vaccines before this experience, and I thought that parents who didn't vaccinate their kids were hippies. I think that this vaccine absolutely has a positive effect for some people. That some people absolutely probably benefit from taking it, and it should be available to anyone who wants it. I am against mandating it for anyone. I am against withholding truthful information and manipulating the public in order to push a decision as though it is religion. I am against punishment for personal health choices. I am against withholding information, no matter the greater good perceived, in order to push a narrative that drives public decision making. Understanding that the vaccines are not simply safe and effective for everyone, that you shouldn't ask questions or it means you're an anti-vaxxer, is just the first step. Understanding that early treatment did exist and was smeared and prohibited is the second. Understanding that the news is not here to serve you, the people, is the third. That it is paid for and bought by the liberal government. Understanding that words like misinformation and discredited or anti-vaxxer are the laziest and easiest way to make people stop asking common sense questions of themselves and are ways to turn the people against each other. That doing your research was vilified as a form of gaslighting, as though we're unable to read. That real leaders would never go on live TV and tell you to hate on your neighbor. They would never call millions of people racist, misogynist villains. They would never actively create hate and smear campaigns against their own people who were simply, genuinely worried about their health. This was about control and nothing else. This was about getting people to turn on each other with the aim of getting every single person on board with a mandated government decision. The people in the hospitals, our nurses, our doctors, they were just doing their best to deal with the pandemic and save lives. I don't doubt that. The people that work at CBC and the news, they're just doing their job. Each and every person here is just responding to circumstance. They're not all meeting together and making a big plan. As I sorted through actual facts and truth be told, scary but improbable conspiracies, I became increasingly worried. There was absolutely more to the story than, quote, there is a deadly virus that kills everyone and this medicine is perfectly safe for everyone. Take it and this will be all over. I began to understand then how to follow the money, how our political system worked, what the World Economic Forum is, what is globalization, the Great Reset, the social credit system, and how the new digital ID, mass compliance, and mandates played into it all. Each of these things could be their own podcast, by the way. I understood that... This nonsensical, illogical, punishing mandate was about scaring people into doing what they're told. Into giving up their personal freedoms to the government in return for a false sense of safety. That if you scare the people enough, they will do just about anything, hence the daily death count. And if you turn the people on each other, they will make sure that everyone complies. This information was right in front of me. None of it from a YouTube video or Telegram, a lot of it directly from our own canada.gc website, directly from the WEF website, directly from the mouths of our political leaders, from Klaus Schwab's books telling us exactly what they want to do. This is about a digital ID and a looming financial reset. The desire to form a global government that can easily control people when it has access to your digital finances through your digital ID. People don't see the dangers of a digital ID because practically everything is going digital. Why would you carry around a driver's license? Of course, naturally, things are going to go digital. What some are failing to realize is that What is actually going to be on that ID and having everything in one place, your bank account, digital currency, the government can decide where and how you spend your money and perhaps they're going to decide where and how you spend your money based on good behavior, hence the social credit system where your behavior may determine whether or not you can get on a plane or a train or leave the country. And we saw this with the freedom protests in Ottawa, when peaceful protesters and people who weren't even there had their bank accounts frozen. That is a little sample of what's to come. Our Prime Minister has bragged for years that he admires dictatorships like China. You know, people thought the idea of a social credit system in Canada was crazy. I remember posting an article back in 2020, and people thought that was ludicrous. Until, of course, they did it and they put it up on the Canada.gc website. On our own site speaking to the benefits of social credit, removal of property ownership, and equity over equality. I started to see that a lot of the authoritarian ideas were based on Marxist principles, that Marxists were leading a lot of the social justice movements, that Marxism aimed to dismantle society, dismantle the family unit, the nuclear family, dismantle the relationship between child and parent, all in the name of revolution. We can't destroy society and make people dependent on the government if they are happy and strong. Marxism seeks to disrupt and dismantle. There is no rebuilding of a perfect utopia. In fact, the World Economic Forum's slogan that we've heard each and every global political leader, uh, leader state, build back better. Notice even that word back. These people are linguists. They are very intentional with their language. This is about going back, back to the monarchy, back to control. They are very particular with the language that they chose for that slogan. This type of system has never worked in the past because its theories are based on deceit and disdain for its own people. It's simply a system of control where we are all equal and equally suffering, upset and reliant on the government, where we confuse young children about their identities so they feel cut off from their parents. You don't understand me. There is so much literature, in fact, from Marxist history about disrupting the children in particular, about sexualizing the children about separating them from their parents so that the children also want to join the revolution. Reading about the history of Marxism, the history of the Red Guard in China, where they indoctrinated the children so they would turn on the teachers and turn on their elders to the point where they were actually beating them. Books by James Lindsay and learning about the deeper underbelly of the social justice far-left movement reminded me of what I was seeing in the ideological community. In our aim for diversity, there was zero diversity of thought. Let the people do your work for you. Let the people practice authoritarianism and you won't even have to control them. Disrupt their strengthening relationships. Disrupt the church, religion, the family, people's identities. And they will attack each other. And they will learn to love the system of government instead. I watched my own government progressively and quickly create extreme leftist policies and bills. Bills like the media censorship bill, where they would censor alternative forms of media or decide what could be talked about on social media. Or the hate speech bill that includes pre-crime, encouraging people to snitch on their neighbor if they think they, quote, might say something the universal basic income bill that will encourage even more economic dependency on the government. I think CERB was just a little test of that. Note, I don't disagree with support programs for those that need it. I disagree with blanket programs that intentionally create economic dependence on the government while they simultaneously Persist with endless lockdowns to destroy businesses, especially ones owned by the middle class. If you haven't noticed, this has been the fastest upward driving of wealth we have ever seen. The billionaires got richer, the poor got poorer, and the people in the middle are basically being completely wiped out which is exactly what a socialist far-left government would want because it's the people in the middle that are really going to stand up to these kind of bills. I just have a lot of questions about universal basic income, especially while, as of today's date, our NDP and liberal government has formed a coalition, one that nobody voted for knowing that we are $1 trillion in debt, more debt than our country has ever seen. I have some questions about this bill. One, will good social behavior be a deciding factor into whether or not you will get your government check? Will more lockdowns be happening, forcing more people to close their businesses and maybe end up on universal basic income themselves. Lockdowns that we know as per the John Hopkins University study were only 0.2% effective in preventing death. Will you need your third, fourth, or fifth booster in order to get your UBI and feed your family? Or possibly, what's the next thing they mandate? Maybe it's a microchip. We have the CEO of Pfizer already talking about that. Maybe it's agreeing to not have any children. Who knows? The point is, they can control you. And this is all sneaking in under the guise of equality. It's not equality, it's control. That was a lot. And maybe you shut this podcast off a long time ago and disengaged. Maybe you don't believe any of it. Maybe you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you know exactly what I'm talking about, you know what follows next. And that is a tremendous amount of grief. The grief that happens when your world changes. When you realize that you've been lied to. When you discover that things are not as they seem. When you see that this started a long, long time ago, my husband knew right from day one that something was wrong, but he never spent one second looking into it too far. When I really came to the stark realization, he was away hunting that weekend. When he came home on Sunday night, I grabbed him and I said, I have something awful to tell you. I sobbed as I laid everything out on the table. He looked at me like I was fucking crazy. I convinced him to look at just one thing, because he's not the kind of person who wants to look at coop documentaries on the internet. I showed him the World Economic Forum's website. I showed him the digital ID, digital currency, and the social credit system on our own websites on the government websites. I showed him a short video about the financial reset, and something clicked in him, but still he had zero desire to invest too much time in it. He didn't quite see the emergency that I saw. Each week I would present the tiniest fact from a provincial website. The seed grew bigger. Eventually, he was on the same page as me. The day that he said, you're right, all of this is happening, was a terrible day. The confirmation that you are right from the most pragmatic of people is scarier than people not believing you sometimes. I brought this to my elected leaders. They saw it too. I brought this to a cardiac surgeon I knew. He saw it too. I brought this to a high-level judge that I knew. He knew it too. I brought this to my very wealthy friends who were in the know about finances, and I asked them, hey, uh, what are you guys investing in these days? Farmland, they said. Off the grid. Frick. Then the injuries started happening. Twelve people. Twelve people that I personally know with neurological, heart, menstrual, clotting, and even blindness issues. I brought the tiniest snippet of this to my close circle of friends after a whole year of remaining silent. I knew where they stood, and I was afraid to speak out, and I never brought anything forward. One day I mentioned that we shouldn't be judging people for their personal medical decisions and they cancelled me. They stopped talking to me. They told me I don't believe in science, that not being able to go to a restaurant was not a big deal, that I had no business asking these questions or sharing these thoughts I brought my well-thought-out censored, very censored, and practical questions and concerns about mandates coming to schools, to the school board, to the principals, and to the superintendents. Radio silence and refusal to answer any questions or have a conversation. I emailed again, We live in a small town. I'm going to see you in the grocery store sometime. Please answer my questions. We're just doing what we're told, is all that I got. One line. In my desperation, perhaps, I spoke about it on social media. Only expressing that I had questions and concerns, not going deep into any of it. And I lost hundreds of people. I lost clients, I lost customers, I lost more friends. I was erased, cancelled. I would bring world data and scientific parents from the la- uh, scientific papers from the Lancet and JAMA to my parents and they would both say like parrots health Canada says safe and effective end of story. They would send me emails about how disappointed they were in me. Those injured people that I knew, they were being told that it couldn't be from the shot. But they would never get a reason. Or an alternative source of where it came from. They were being denied exemptions from second shots. They were being canceled and dropped by their friends and family. What was going on? I never gave this to my kids. While my youngest was spared because of her age, her older sister was not. And she was treated horribly, ridiculed by friends, treated like a leper at our local ski hill. She wasn't allowed to go into most buildings that her friends were in. She had COVID at one point and breezed through it. She breezed through her headache and a fever in two days with chicken soup and Tylenol. And then she had natural immunity, but of course that didn't matter. At our local ski hill one night, it was minus 30. They didn't allow the unvaccinated in the building. You know, they didn't allow them in the restaurant, which was fine by me. But they had roped off the outdoor seating areas by the fire pits, for the moral people only. We had paid for her locker, which was in an empty basement room. She went in that night, completely alone, to grab extra warm clothes from her locker, as she wasn't allowed to sit in the outdoor fireplaces. She was, quote, spotted, Dragged into the office and threatened with her pass removal and told this by the manager. Look, I didn't want to get it either and I regret it, but I did. It's just something you have to do. Pardon? You just told my child that you regret it and now she should get it? The tears I dealt with that night and the following week broke my Heart. She is one tough kid, but even this did her in. They treated her inhumanely. They had nonsensical policies that went above and beyond what they were even mandated to do. And when approached to discuss things, we were threatened with being removed from the property and having our family passes revoked. This is how we treat people. We follow nonsensical authoritarian rules. We wear masks when we stand up, but not when we sit down. We use mandates to punish people that have nothing to do with public health. We ask teenagers to ask people for their personal medical information at doors of businesses and flaunt that power to make people feel ostracized and less than. And for what? I honestly can see where mandates might be a thing. If this were Ebola and 50% of the people died and the vaccine actually stopped you from catching Ebola, I would say, okay, maybe mandates make sense. Maybe. But this is not where we're at. And of course, if the vaccine worked, then maybe mandates still don't make sense because it's up to the individual. I have had to have some really tough skin. I did not enjoy this process. I didn't gain anything by standing in what I knew to be true. I felt victimized by my community, abandoned by my friends, rejected and canceled by people that didn't even know me. And every single one of my points when brought up in a civil conversation was not countered with evidence. There was no great science that proved my thoughts wrong. There was only refusal to engage at all. There was a repetition of phrases like, we're just doing what we're told, and it's safe and effective. There was ridicule and shaming, but zero conversation. The more that this pressure came down on me, the more I realized that something was wrong. I decided then and there, that still, it was better to be completely alone than to betray my own integrity by giving in to the bullying and groupthink. The funny thing was, I never told anyone what to do. I never told anyone not to get it. I never told anyone how to parent. I never told anyone what they must believe. Not once. I only addressed my questions, my concerns, and my worries, and tried to advocate for myself. Everyone refused to talk to me or even have a conversation about it. I was alone. Me, Dan, and maybe the person that woke me up. Well... I thought, I guess this will have to be enough. I focused on my family, I focused on my work, and I kept going. For weeks I was alone, and I was kind of okay with it, to be honest. The hardest part was, quote, coming out. That initial dump. And then it was actually followed by the best possible feeling ever. Freedom. I had nothing to lose now nothing to worry about. No one was left to yell at me, shame me, attack me. Strangers on the internet? Who cares? It felt so much better to be free than it felt when I was hiding that first year. I went to my first protest in the city. I needed to find community. I played angry, heavy metal music the whole way to the city. I didn't know what to expect, but I thought we would be some sort of angry mob about to mess things up, and I had some pent-up pressure to blow up. I was into it. What I found was something completely different. Thousands of people laughing, hugging, playing music, holding their little kids, and marching together. Black, white, Asian, indigenous, gay, straight, unvaccinated, vaccinated, old, young, military, police, hippies, teenagers, people in suits, praying together, singing. Everyone around me talked to me. Everyone greeted me made sure I felt welcome. Everyone had smiling faces that I could see. No one cared what your political stance, race, religion, or medical decision was. I listened to funeral directors tell us that they are lying to us about who is really dying. It's the kids, and it's not from the virus. I listened to vaccine-injured people speak. I listened to pro-vaccine, but anti-mandate people speak. I listen to a Christian pastor, followed by beautiful drumming from local Indigenous elders. I could feel it in the air. This feeling was tangible. This is what it looks like for a community to come together to take care of one another. This is what love and acceptance looks like. And this must be a very, very dangerous thing for the people that are controlling us. And this is why we're being attacked and labeled. I went back home ready to be isolated again from the world, but instead, I got a little ping on my phone. And then another one. And another one. Me too, the message said. And then another that said, I feel the same way. And then yet another, I am vaccine injured and my friends dumped me for talking about it. I saw this from the beginning, but I'm scared to lose my job if I say anything. Thank you for saying something. Over the next few weeks and months, I saw the rise of hundreds of messages in my inbox. Me too messages. Almost all of these individuals have the same thing in common. They have been shamed into silence. They keep this deep dark secret of awakening to themselves. They have been mistreated, so they stay hidden. You would be surprised to see how many people are actually awake. What I lost came back to me tenfold, surrounded by people and friends in real life, an online account growing quickly by the day, and more clients than I had had in the last three years. It took me being able to sit in that discomfort of isolation. It took me being able to stand up against groupthink. It took me valuing my integrity more than fitting in no matter the consequences. I don't have a doubt in my mind now that I did the right thing for me. That my personal choices for my family were the right thing to do. That speaking up and expressing my concerns was the right thing to do because it helped other people feel like they were not alone, and that they didn't have to grieve this new reality on their own. I have no opinion on what you should do for you. I believe in choice. I don't believe we can punish, coerce, or shame anyone into doing something. That a personal choice is not a moral choice, and no one deserves a pat on the back for something they did for them gaslighting is a real thing and i know that i don't need to be a scientist or a doctor to know what's best for my body or my children that a degree doesn't give you access to my body and that it is not the government's job to mandate what goes into my body either the most dangerous thing about the last two years is not a virus or an experimental injection it's the new religion of authoritarianism It's government overreach. It's regular people thinking that they can punish or shame you or ridicule you for a personal health decision. It's the new religion of the ideologues. It's not an accident that this new religion is saturating our communities. The ability to shame, punish and cancel anyone who doesn't fall in line with a particular agenda In a world where we are supposedly above discrimination, vilifying those who have a different opinion than you has become fair game. It's become a place where we can place all of our pent-up frustrations and angst, where we get narcissistic pats on the back from online peers for publicly lambasting those who disagree with us, where we gain followers for attacking those with different opinions, and that narcissism is infectious. You do a post You get instant gratification from likes and virtue signaling friends. I've fallen for it too. But how do you know if your idea or opinion is really worth the squeeze? You can defend it alone. You don't need groupthink. You don't need the pats on the back. And you are able to have a conversation around it and provide evidence without the unnecessary unnecessary emotional charge without canceling people. I have thoroughly investigated my own thoughts and sources of information. I've asked myself many times, am I crazy? Is this really happening? Have I been led astray? I continue to look at both sides of the information. I continue to stay open. But I am clear as day about the fact that this is about control and that we have been lied to. And I feel like I have a unique position to sit in because I have lived on both sides of this argument. I'm on the other side of fear now. I see what's real, what's questionable, what's a what if, what's a conspiracy, and what is straight up worrisome right in front of my face. I see what's happening in politics. I see what's happening with forced ideologies and indoctrination of thought into schools like it's a religion. The longer this thing goes on, the more people we will see waking up. The Freedom Convoy was the first big awakening for many people. It shook the world. More people in other countries saw what this was, even when Canadians themselves didn't see it. But thankfully, many Canadians came out of the shadows too. Are there kooks and conspiracy theorists on this, quote, side? You betcha. Your side has them too. The ones that are turning a blind eye to the evidence. A blind eye to the slow rise of totalitarian globalism that is occurring. The ones that deny biology, that believe science is only one answer. The ones at the anti-freedom protests with signs that say gas the unvaccinated. And the ones that take joy in other people's suffering. Again, I need nothing from you. You don't have to believe me or sympathize with me or want to speak about any of this either. I speak to help show others that you are right to believe that diversity of opinion is important. That no matter who you are, you are allowed to share your opinions. And that's civil and kind conversation is a necessary skill. You are right to believe that bullying is wrong, coercion is wrong, threatening people is wrong, and you are right to believe that just because everyone else is going along with it, it doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. Be all right with being alone and also know that you are not alone. That when you are brave enough to put your integrity above fitting in, you will find your place of truth and belonging. This war has just begun and we will need people like you. So keep tapping into your intuition. Keep speaking your truth. Keep treating all people well. And please, keep fighting for what you believe is right.